Welcome to the Hustlers Manifesto podcast. We jailbreak from toxic hustle culture. We take Hustler back from a belief that bigger is better, security is contingent on compliance, and freedom is reserved for the powerful. I'm your host, Sarah Duran. I'm not here to tell you how to make a quick buck. I'm here to change the way work is done so that we can live more meaningful lives right now instead of betting on an uncertain future. If you value this content, please rate it and comment on this podcast wherever you get it. If you're a freelancer, consultant, or solopreneur who needs better strategy for your business, learn more about what I do at fruitioninitiatives.com. Thanks for being part of the movement. Hi, John. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Very well. It's a beautiful but a little chilly Monday in, in New York City where I live. Amazing. Yeah, it is also a chilly Monday here outside of Denver, which it is. I've been waiting for it to get chilly. <laughs> it's I been, know you I'm have. I know warm. you have. Everybody that I know that lives in Colorado, including my son, my daughter-in-law, my two two of my grandchildren, uh, man, it's season to season. He's excited about skiing, and he's sorry to to lose the hiking and the and the fishing that he does. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We're exactly the same way. It's been a very warm fall, which I did just, but the pro of that is we went on a hike just this past weekend. So, which you usually don't get to do at the end of November. I'm so excited to have you here for you to share some of your very deep expertise on all things. I think many things, freelancing, open talent, independent work, but I'd love for us to start off with the three questions that I asked everyone at the beginning, which is just, sure. who are you? What is your work and why do you do it? Mm, so let me write down who are you, your work, and why. Yep. Okay. Who am I? Let, let me answer that in two ways. The first is that I'm a I'm a full-time husband, I'm a full-time grandfather, and I'm a part-time everything else. So that's the first answer. A, a, a very long time ago, when dinosaurs walked the earth, I, I was a social psychologist, organizational psychologist. And I was teaching and then moved from teaching to a business job. So I worked for Exxon for 10 years. I had a wonderful time at Exxon. It, it, many people who freelance wonder whether they should work for a company for a while before they start freelancing. I can't give advice to anybody else, but I know that it was very helpful for me because what I learned was business stuff. I learned what I needed to do to be successful in a business environment. And believe me, as a graduate student in social psychology, the good psychology program, nobody ever teaches you how to work in a business because nobody wants you to work in a business. They want you to go on and be a prof. But it was a great experience, eight jobs in 10 years. And, and I left there and started a sequence of uh, building companies. We ended up uh, working with wonderful people in the HR field and guys like uh, Norm Smallwood and Dave Ulrich in other areas. And we ended up taking two companies public, or I was part of taking two companies public. One was the, a consultancy that became much bigger as a result of a roll-up. And the other was working for a company that was an early eyeball counter in the internet. Before anything else happened in the internet, people wanted to know who were, who was going where and how many. And with a French company called NetValue, which was 
which had gotten public on the new Boris, um, we were a very early tracker of, uh, of where people were going and what people were doing on the internet. So that's me, a little bit on the internet, a little bit on consulting, a little bit on uh, freelancing, and uh, here we are. Here we are. What? So tell us what you do now. That, pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. So I, I have been, I've been blessed with a fear of retirement. I'm 72, and so I don't particularly wish to retire. And there are so many wonderful stories about the freelance world that I'm delighted to write them and to share them. So with Human Cloud, the CEO of Human Cloud is named Matt Matola, and I have joined him. There are a couple of other people in the company as well. And we see ourselves as, as advisors and tool makers for the internet community. We're very involved in education. So one example is that you and I were talking before the session about some of the other people that you have uh, interviewed. Uh, many of the recent ones have come from something that we started a year and a half ago, which is called the Freelancer First Study Group. We're now on the second group. There's a third that'll be coming early next year. And the logic of the Freelancer First Study Group is the notion that freelancers' success and prosperity is the rising tide that lifts all boats in a marketplace world. And so we need to get on with helping freelancers be successful and experience the that success, which is very tough sometimes when there are so many people on a platform and so few people get work as part of that platform. So we've invited a bunch of CEOs to work together to identify ways in which they can increase the success and prosperity of their freelancers. And, and what we found, Sarah, is that there are three ways of doing that. One is you can increase the intelligence of your freelancers and help them to know how to fish themselves to find work. The second is you can increase the sophistication and the maturity of your clients and help them to see the bigger picture of when freelancers become part of their extended or, or larger workforce. And the second is we've been helping freelance platforms to put more intelligence into the platform itself. And I'll give you one little example, which is that GigDayI, which, which was a member of our first uh, group of companies, had done a very interesting thing and now have created a relationship with OpenAI. GigDayI said one of the biggest areas of wasted time and effort in freelancing is getting the scope. So why aren't we reducing friction by bringing AI into the party and doing a better job of helping clients and helping the platform develop a clear, specific, and, and operational scope? One of many examples where we're trying to use technology, machine learning, and, and AI to reduce friction as on companies uh, Mary Casey would describe it. We're on the second ring of that. In this particular, in the second tranche of the Freelancer First Study Group, we have 15 companies of which uh, 10 nations are included um, and a mix of areas of, of, of importance. And they are working with one another as peer counselors and coaches. We're facilitating that and bringing other expertise to the parties, for example, 
Uh, in the next month or so, we're going to we're going to be joined by Bill Allen, former head of HR for Maersk and Macy's, as well as PepsiCo. Uh, and Bill is a dear old friend, and he's going to help us to figure out how to make friends with HR, which is something that not all platforms know how to do. But in addition to that, as you pointed out, through human cloud, and tell me when to stop, Sarah, because I could talk about this stuff forever. Keep going. One of the things that we're doing with human cloud is building tools that help freelancers and freelance facilitate freelance solopreneurs, leaders investors to be more successful. And so one of the most recent was something that we did for OpenAssembly. I'm no longer involved in OpenAssembly, but I created for them what was called the, the talented part, what did we call it? The Trusted Talent Partner Award. Do you know that, that how crazy it is that freelance platforms don't have a way to establish whether their clients love them? We created it. 13 very simple questions. Now, it turns out, I don't think OpenAssembly is operating. I'm not sure because I'm not involved with them, but they certainly don't seem to be doing anything with the trusted talent partner right now. So we'll see what happens. Maybe something else will occur over time. But that's one. We've recently created a freelance trend tracker. There's nobody watching the overall trends or the sentiments of the people that are driving the freelancer revolution. And so we thought, Gee whiz, why don't we just create a quarterly, maybe it'll turn into a monthly, where we're asking a whole bunch of folks, including Sarah Dunner, Durham, Durham, to answer the question, how do you see the freelance revolution according to these 10 questions? One of which is, how confident is it going to grow? Second of which is, are you looking for money? The third of which is, what do you see as your most in-demand areas? I mean, just basic stuff. We're going to add a, how involved are you in AI? Those kinds of basic questions that give not only freelance solopreneurs and, and entrepreneurs, but also investors and ecosystem partners, a perspective on how the how the community sees its next six to 12 months. We're excited about that. And now the next thing that we're doing is we're creating a series of one at one day workshops, usually a half day for new and recent early stage companies to address a whole bunch of issues. For example, what size and nature of platform do you want? What kind of community are you trying to grow? What is your strategy? What is the tech thesis of your work? All of those questions that people need to answer on a very thoughtful basis that very often they haven't answered. And right now, because so much of of what we're talking about is not over the next couple of years is likely not to be venture backed, but rather sweat equity backed. Mm -hmm. It's important that people have a perspective. It's important that people have a pretty clear idea and vision of where they're headed and how to get there. So we're excited to support the, the community. We're excited to be part of the creation of the freelance revolution. And I am personally honored that Every once in a while, somebody thinks I'm smart enough or old enough to be the godfather of this stuff. <laughs> There's so much there, John, that I want to touch on. I apologize. No, that's, I, I think that's, I again, like I said in the very beginning, like you are, you touch like so many different layers of this True. work that I think having a one sentence summary of what you do is impossible, but there's a lot to dig in on there. I think sure. one of my, so what I, 
So I think as you and I know, a lot of some of my most favorite people are in your freelance first group or maybe the first iteration. And I've had conversations with a lot of them about some of these same topics. One of so what I hear you saying about the work you're doing with human cloud around that is and these three levers that you were talking about. So it and I sum them up in my mind as training freelancers, training clients and training the platform. So like to your point about the AI, like how to make the platform smarter. Uh, And I think I am interested in all of those layers, but as the layer that I touch most directly is training freelancers. And so one of my questions for you is, A, I love the word freelance first, because I think sometimes, especially in some of the larger platforms, the actual freelancer gets lost a little bit. I think that a lot of Sometimes a lot of their um, strategy and efforts are more quote unquote client facing than freelancer facing. And so I'm curious overall, like in all of these efforts, like how do you and, and the partners that you're working with think about bringing in the voice of the freelancer in uh, me, all of these conversations and things that you're thinking about? A wonderful question. Let me talk for a minute about training freelancers because it's quite an interesting thing. And that is... A year and a bit ago, we did the first, but it wasn't, it was pre-human cloud, but together with the University of Toronto, my alma mater, uh, we did the first really global survey of freelancers that wasn't selling a particular platform. So this was, we involved about 30 platforms. We had 2000 people, 30 countries, 40 platforms, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really neat. And one of the things that we found Sarah, was quite interesting around the training of freelancers. And that is, if you take a look at freelancers, what you find is that there is four stages of early freelancing. First stage of early freelancing is, can I do this? And when we take a look at satisfaction levels for the first year, freelancers in their first year of freelancing are, in general, a little frustrated. They're frustrated because they don't know how to get work. They're frustrated because they don't know how to work with clients. They're frustrated because they're not sure what to expect from their platform. They're for all of the reasons. They're newbies. And what we've seen is that at the end of the first year, people make a choice. Some people say this isn't right for me. For example, we know that 18% of freelancers are looking for full-time jobs. At least those are fairly recent data. And I'm, I suspect there's a higher percentage now as people are starting to worry about recessions and stuff like that. But let's assume 20%. 20% leave, they go back, they get a full-time job. The folks that are left figure it out. It takes a year, but they figure out how to be freelance, as, as I'm sure, Sarah, you did at some point. And they feel pretty good for the next couple of years. So year one, I'm frustrated because I don't know how to make this work. If I stick with it, years two and three, I feel pretty good because I do know how to make it work. And then at the end of year three, I'm stuck again. It's one thing to know how to make it work, Sarah, but it's another to say, this is what I want to do with my life. And many people at the end of the third year say, this is not what I want to do with my life. And they leave again. For those people that remain, motivation, enthusiasm, and confidence goes back up again because they've made the decision that this is what they want to do and they stick with it. Four stages. Stage one is, do I know how to do this? Stage two is, I do know how to do this and I'm doing pretty good. 
But stage three, is this really what I want to do? And stage four is, yes, this is what I really want to do. And I'm going to continue to do pretty good at it. The challenge for most platforms, Sarah, is that they assume that freelancers are experienced and first-year freelancers are not. And what we know from some of the data coming out there recently, Steve King and some other folks at Emergent Research who are sharing the data say, over the last couple of years, we've seen a 90% increase between 2020 and 2023 in full-time freelancers, and we've seen a 130% increase in side giggers. So with all of that wonderful growth, there's a positive and a problem. The positive is, as you have more full-time freelancers, who are, you are positioning yourself and your platform to work with enterprise companies. Enterprise companies don't want to work for side giggers because there are conflicts of interest, conflicts of schedule, conflicts of different kinds, because they're side giggers. They're, they're working as moonlighters. Companies, big companies don't want to deal with moonlighters. They want to deal with fellow professionals, quote unquote. So the good news is with an increase of 90%, we're in a much better position globally to support enterprise business. The problem is that all these guys are new. And so they need to learn how to freelance. They need to know how to put together a profile. They need to know how to talk to clients when they don't have an opportunity to build a relationship, but rather there are three that have been curated and put forth as possibilities. They've got to be clear about what they're good at. They've got to be clear about what they need to learn. They've got to be clear about so many different things in their first year, et cetera, that we need platforms to be attentive to their unique needs. Right now, the average freelance platform provides work to 10, maybe 15% of its platform members. So we've got an awful lot of people that aren't getting a lot of work. And of course, in order to know how to freelance, you need to freelance, you need to do the work. And so we're in a little bit of a bind there. And clearly what freelance platforms need to do is what we already talked about for freelance for a study group, more opportunity. But they also have to train their freelancers to know how to go after that opportunity themselves in addition to waiting to eat at the platform table. Freelancers cannot depend on the platform for all their work, and here's why. If you think about the role of the platform, the role of the platform is a discovery role more than anything else. Not only is it making available freelancers to companies of various sizes, organizations of various sizes, but as are more important, platforms are the vehicle to discover talent you need but didn't know existed. It's They're discovering their talent on behalf of you that means that you're not going to be on everybody's mind all the time. You're only going to get a certain amount of business from the from the platform because you only come up as that unique, competent entity every once in a while. So you've got a couple of obligations as a freelancer. One is you got to be really good at whatever it is you're saying you're good at. You got to be really good. You got to build up. You got to build a what is it called a Vita CV. And, and you've got to identify 
great projects that you've had an amazing opportunity to work for and be good at. That's the challenge, right? You got to sell yourself. At the end of the day, the freelance platform is selling you, but only on an attenuated basis. You've got to be doing all of the rest of the work of making it easy for them to sell you, making it easy for companies to hire you on a project basis. That's the challenge. Now, what is it that freelancers are typically awful at? And the answer is networking, selling themselves, asking for the business. They're terrible overall at it. Our data says that less than a third of the freelancers that we talk to in our survey feel confident that networking is a strong skill. I feel confident that selling themselves is a strong skill. Now, they're very good at working with people. They're very good at interacting. They're very good at building relationships. But this is a very specific kind of relationship. It's a financial or business relationship. And they're not good at asking for the dough. So we not only have to help freelancers to be clear about what makes them special, but we also have to teach them how to interact in a way that enables them to sell themselves. This is super interesting, John, because so a lot of the work I've been doing over the last year with the freelancers that I work with, whether that's through workshops or my coaching program or whatever it is, is ex you're, like you're you are hitting the nail on the head. Like I that's my job, right? That's my job. And I think that it's so interesting because I do think and I obviously have a much smaller sample size than you, but my my the number one thing I hear from the people that I interact with are is I, I, I either hate promoting myself, I hate selling myself, or I don't know how to do it, or they're doing it in a way that I think like when you're talking about networking, which is my number one thing, I'm always like, if you're not networking, you're not getting work. You can have a social media presence, you can have a million funnels, you can have all these other things. But if you're not networking, if you're not playing the long game, if you're not building genuine relationships, which then goes back to what you said before, you have to know who you're building relationships with, which means you have to know what you offer, you have to know who you're targeting, you have to know what you're suite of services and offerings is because I think other people will also just like network very broadly. And then they will be like, give people this cheesecake factory menu of all the things they can do, which basically means that the person on the other end of that conversation is sitting there being like, I don't know what to hire you for because you right. just gave me 75 things that you can do. Right. But you're like, you're, it is 100% true. And I think it's just, the other thing I hear you saying, which I love is that as someone who only gets the like actual freelancing side of my business. I've only ever gotten clients through networking referrals and repeat business. So personally, I've never actually been on a platform. And, right. but what you're saying about these like stages and the people that get past levels two and three, and what you're saying about the platform is that the people have to learn by doing. So if there's, yeah. if only 10 to 15% of the people on the platform are getting work, then, and if the other 90 to 85% to 90% of people are just sitting there twiddling their thumbs, waiting for the platform to give them work, they're not improving because right. they have to be out there. You only, you only learn to do this stuff by doing it. Obviously you can, there's people like me, there's trainings, there's other things out there, but fundamentally you have to do it in order to learn how to do it. <laughs> and the other thing is you're presumably you're doing it to pay the bills. 
So yeah. if you're not getting work, you're not paying the bills. The advice, and I would build on what you're you're saying, but I I have this way of I have this statement. It's a little silly. It's a little it's a little I don't know what I call it. it but here's the thing: uh, size doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter in men, and size doesn't matter in freelancing. I, there, I've said it. I've said, said it. it. You've laid and down the gauntlet, John. <laughs> I have laid down the gauntlet, and the reality is that. Nobody wants to know the 75 things that you're able to do. People want to know the two or three things that you can really do. The two or three things that you have done well enough over and over that you've established yourself as having expertise, not just interest. Nobody's interested in your interest. People want to know this is a, this, there's a wonderful article that people should read if they don't know it. It's by a guy named Clay Christensen, who was a professor at the Harvard Business School, and he created this really neat thing. He was very much in the disruption field around the internet and stuff like that. And one of the things that he wrote about, which I thought was just absolutely fabulous, is he wrote what he called the theory of job to be done, theory of, of jobs to be done. If you think about what a client does, a client is willing to, to rent you to accomplish a task. They want to, they're willing to rent some of your time, rent some of your expertise to accomplish specific tasks. And what you've got to do in your part of that transaction is you've got to establish that you have the experience, the wherewithal, and the skill set, both interpersonally and technically, to accomplish the job that they are renting you to do. If you give them 75 things to do. And you say, what would you like from this menu? The answer is, I would like someone else because you're confusing me. Right. Go away. I, I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind. You need to establish what you, what we call and what other people call your superpower. What is your superpower? What is the thing that you do as well or better as anybody on this planet and will do for your clients? Sarah, you said something that I thought was really interesting, and, and, and that is that you're not a member of a platform. You work on what we would call direct sourcing. And it turns out that historically, about 80% of freelancing is on a direct source basis, on a direct sort of basis. That's changing a bit. Platforms are taking more of a role. They're playing more of a role. But the reality is that direct source is a very important part of any freelancers overall work and that if you're not as a matter of as just a matter of discipline if you're not talking to freelance clients or potential clients every day you're not getting better mm -hmm. so what what we would encourage your freelancer those freelancers who are listening right now you need a daily weekly monthly and quarterly plan what are you going to do and who are you going to talk to every day? What are you going to do and who are you going to talk to every week? What are you going to do? Who are you going to talk to every month, et cetera, et cetera. And if you can lay that out, the way in which it avoids some of the worry that freelancers have about networking and about selling and about asking for business is that the less frequently you speak to people, the more it feels transactional and you don't like it. The more often you speak to people or the more regularly you speak to people, 
the less it feels transactional and the more it feels like a relationship is building. Try that instead of worrying that, oh my God, I'm only gonna call people when I'm out of work, when I no longer have a lot of activity. And then what I'm effectively doing is saying on the phone, will you hire me? That doesn't establish value. The question is, what can I do for you? Not what can you do for me? Yeah, it's so true. And the every time, like as someone who's, I think I'm probably past your stage four, I've been I'm going on my ninth year of owning my business. And it, I get, every time I have one of those conversations, let alone every time I do a project for someone, I get clearer and clearer. So to your point, getting, zeroing in on your superpower that is something that you're starting to experiment with in stage one, but the more you do the work and the more you have these conversations, like every time I have a conversation with someone, I am narrowing in more and more, not on just what am I best positioned to do, but I'm also hearing what they need. And so then I'm aligning those two things where then I'm like, yeah. I'm speaking directly to them in their words of how they're defining the problem. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I actually am the right person to solve that problem. But the yeah. more of those conversations, the more you're just, it's, you're crystallizing. It's like, you're condensing and condensing. Yes. And I would add one more piece to what you've just said. And that is, if we're starting to have regular conversations, then one of the regular conversations we can have is what's happening to you over the next six months that I can help with. And so now you're planning. You're, you're, one of the things that every business needs is enough of a base of recurring revenue so you're not freaking out every month. And so one of the things that you can begin to do as you build these relationships with clients is you can begin to say, let's talk about what you're going to need three months from now because I can prepare myself for that. I'll make time for you six months from now. Would you like to talk about a team? I've got some other people that can also help you. We can work together to solve your stuff. I will find that other person for you. You don't have to find that person. So there are all sorts of ways. Once you start to, to, to see yourself as in a relationship with these folks, there are a variety of additional things that you can do that feel normal, that feel attractive and feel helpful that begin to reduce your level of worry about your discomfort with networking, your discomfort with asking for business, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that key word that you're saying there is relationship, because I think yeah. that when people say to me, I hate promoting myself, I'm like, that's not why you're having this conversation. Like you right. going into these conversations, and it is a long game. It's a long game, not a short game. You're not cold pitching people. You're not, that's not what it is. You're ge building genuine relationships with people, not based on the fact that like, I'm going to build this relationship because in six months, they're going to hire me. Maybe, but they also may be like, I met this amazing person who does this thing that is super specific. And next time I hear about someone who needs that thing, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I know that person. So it exactly. is like, it is shifting the way, like networking is not about looking at people as like walking dollar signs. It is looking at people as humans and building genuine relationships with people. Um, all because people work. can feel that. Yeah, not everything works. And sometimes people go, I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to talk to you about the next six months. You know what? Hey, you win some, you lose some. But the biggest challenge is you just, as you just pointed out, is understanding that this, that you are creating a problem for yourself if you aren't building 
a set of relationships if you're not creating a community of colleagues. Yes, absolutely. Nice. nice. Um, so I'd love to shift gears just slightly. Sure. And, um, because again, I know that you have your your hands on all of the levels of the future of independent talent. So tell us what you're thinking about or looking forward to in 2024. Oh boy. Let me talk. I'll just go through some of the stuff. Okay. I think the first is just a recognition that this is the year, this kind of year coming up 2024 it's really a year where a whole bunch of things come together for the freelance revolution. So we've got more supply. We've got more full-time people. We've got a whole bunch of interesting new tech that's going to reduce friction and increase capability through chat GPT and all of that stuff. And that will drive not only platform intelligence, as we talked about, but it'll also drive client intelligence in some very interesting ways. Third is... We're just seeing a lot of optimism. You pointed out in our pre-call the some of the surveys that I'm doing. And whether you talk about LATAM, whether you talk about France, whether you talk about Germany, whether you talk about the Middle East, the reality is that people understand that there's an additional source of capability that they have the opportunity to tap that provides them with skills that they may not have present but need at a level of cost which is manageable. So it's very exciting to see that. And what we're seeing, we we know there was a a drop in demand over the second and third um, quarters when people were wondering, is there gonna be a recession? Is there not gonna be a recession? All that stuff. But what we're seeing is an awful lot of demand that, that sort of follows a slow summer and early fall. So people are feeling pretty good about right now about the, the the work coming to them. Sarah, there are one of the things to keep in mind is that freelancing is um, lumpy. So think about three or four categories of freelancing. One vertical certainly is tech. Another vertical certainly is marketing services, creative services, and a third is independent management consulting. Those are the three big categories. And there's a whole bunch of other service platforms like a marketplace for lawyers, marketplace for accountants, a marketplace for wine label designers, a marketplace for sneaker designers. There's lots and lots of specific marketplaces. And that's the fourth category. And and, excuse me, what we know is that it's really an interesting time. We're seeing a whole another tranche of platforms coming in and interestingly enough without a lot of venture funding so there's an awful lot of people that are trying to make it happen themselves and here's the thing that we would say to those guys and that is we if you think about what the data is telling them one is there are too many what we would call undifferentiated marketplaces with no real distinctive assets one of the problems is who goes to fiverr who goes to upwork who goes to freelancer.com? They have all sorts of capabilities, but they're also finding that more and more folks are going to their low end than their high end, as opposed to their professional categories or their enterprise categories. I hire a wonderful woman in Bangladesh 
who does a really nice job of draw, designing illustrations for a kid's book that I give at the age of two to each of our grandchildren. She's wonderful. She's fantastic. I'm paying her more each year. So she's really developing a sort of a middle-class income. But the reality is that it'll always be a low cost. And that's going to be the problem for a fiber and upwork, et cetera. What we know is that many platforms haven't really thought through what makes them special. And what we know, Sarah, is that there are only two fundamental strategies. You're either special or you're cheaper. You're either better or you're cheaper. What's happening is in an awful lot of platforms are defaulting to cheaper right now. It's not sustainable. What we're saying to every platform we know is, what is your superpower? What justifies your presence on the planet? Why is it that a company would need to talk to you? Why is it that an enterprise would want to speak, would want to hire the folks on your platform? What makes you different than so? And we're working with a number of platforms to help them do exactly that, which is, have you thought through your business model? Have you identified what makes you unique? Have you identified the reputation that causes people who want to speak to you and work with you? Many of the platforms that we've dealt with really haven't done a very good job of that, and they need to do better because there's just more competition. It used to be, Sarah, up until 2020, you got your share, right? So even if you didn't have a strong reputation, even if you didn't have a strong brand, you were in the market, you were in a country, you got some business. It's a lot tougher now. So you got to understand what makes you special, what makes you unique, what compels companies to want to work with you. That's the first. Second, marketplaces need to discover the right size for their platform. One of the things we know is that it's silly. There are 59 million people on uh, freelancer.com. I want to say that one more time. 59 million people on freelancer.com. It is slightly larger than the nation of Saudi Arabia. That's okay. Wow. It's very nice. But the problem is, is he getting the leverage? Is Matt Barry, who runs freelancer.com, is he really getting the leverage of 59 million people? And the answer is, I'm not sure. As you think about other platforms that say, oh, my God, we've got 70,000 people or 50,000 people or 100,000 people. My next question is, how many of those have a hope of getting work in the next three years? Because that's your real size. Let's be honest. And so many of these platforms have attracted an awful lot of people who don't even have complete credentials. One of the companies that we worked with, that we are working with, sorry, has 30,000 people that they say are on their platform. I said, how many people are really on your platform? You've got complete information. They say 5,000. How many people have a hope of working in the future? 2,000. So why are you spending time and money worrying about the other 28,000 if you're not helping? Let's instead think about your distinctive identity, your superpower, and then what's the right composition and size of your platform to deliver that? Next, one of the things that we know is that there's more and more direct sourcing. Your point, about half the companies in, excuse me, in the US and Europe are interested in some form of direct sourcing. They're interested in some version of a, a proprietary platform, mm -hmm. right? A private talent cloud for their folks. 
There are companies that do that. Big AI does that. White Lancer does that. Bubti AI does the Bubti.com does that. The problem is that the companies know how to support that. How many companies wanted to have a population of experts they could draw upon, but when they had put it together, what they realized was all they had was a job board with, excuse me, essentially a sort of a digital warehouse, digital talent warehouse. People are dropping out of these direct sourcing arrangements because they're not getting work. At the end of the day, people want six things from a platform, whether it's a direct sourcing platform or it's a another kind of platform. The first thing that they want is they want work. That's why they join. Second thing they want is to believe there's a future to their work, which causes them to want to stick with the platform. The third thing that they want from that is they want the, the platform to handle their business requirements, make sure I'm paid. Make sure that I, I look good. Make sure that I've got a complete CV. Make sure that my profile, make sure when you're curating that you've got me in mind, right? Because I've done enough to, to help you to do that. Fourth thing is people need help staying up to date. Lots of folks have the problem of, of, of where do they go for continually up, updating their skills, training, new stuff, et cetera. There are some platforms that provide that, most don't. Well, we, we need to do a better job of providing the skills that our freelancers need to stay up to state, up to, up to date in their tech. And what we're seeing is more and more change, more and more, a more and more accelerated shift in terms of new technologies. And, and, and then the last thing that folks want when you add all this together is they want the platform community to be what they want it to be. So more and more what people are saying is it's lonely out there. And, and what I'm looking for from my platform is a bit of engagement, a bit of friendship, the opportunity to work together with other people when that makes sense, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the things that people want from their platform. And when we provide it, they're excited. And when we don't provide it, they go somewhere else. I want to be respectful of your time because I know we're about to wrap up, but there's the, I think there's so many, like I think you and I could sit here all day and have continued to have this conversation and sure. hopefully we'll get to have you back soon so we can dig in sure. Sure. to some of these other things that I'm just uh, resonate so much. Like I said, with the experience I have quote unquote on the ground with the freelancers I work with, but I think the thing I'm part of what you're saying, which I think is just resonating resonating with me on a meta level, <laughs> is that we're you're saying the same thing to companies. And I think you and I both know that the fundamental thing that you're doing when you build a business of one versus a build business of a thousand and one is the same on some very primary levels, which is going back to what we were saying in the beginning about finding your superpower. And I can hear you saying all the same things you're helping a lot of these um, freelance facing platforms and companies think about are the exact same things that I'm helping individual freelancers yeah. think about is how are you backwards designing what your business looks like from the people that you want to be serving and the experience you want them to be having both on the client side and on the freelancer side, which is what I appreciate so much about the work that you do. And you're right. also bringing forward a quote in my mind that I had a conversation last week with Karina from Olo. 
And her, she used, kept using this term that I loved so much, which was that their platform is highly curated. It is not a place with anyone on either side. It is, they are very clear about the people that they work with and for on both sides of their equation. And, but yeah, those are, I think the main takeaways that I had, but it, it sounds like, and the conversations I've had with other people too, 2024 seems bright. I, I, I think that we're seeing um, green shoots. I think there's a lot of green shoots. And I think we're going to experience a lot of interesting stuff over the next year. One of the one of the examples that I'll give you is that in LATAM, there's a lot of there's a lot of energy around working in the States because of the arbitrage opportunity. You make more money working in the States, even though you're working remotely. But what we're going to see pretty quickly is that domestic industry within LATAM is also going to drive a lot of freelancer use. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how they decide as a series of platforms uh, to pick up some work domestically, some work regionally, and some work internationally. I don't know how it's going to work out. I think we're going to see a, a lot of growth in Africa over the next little while. I, I haven't written an article on it, but I've been talking to folks and it's pretty exciting what's going on there. I think we're going to start to see more and more in Eastern Asia, places like Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, et cetera, these places are popping fast in terms of, 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 of technological innovation and creating platforms to support that stuff. We're seeing a lot of growth in Turkey, a lot of stuff in the Middle East happening. It's a very interesting time. I believe that freelancing will be choppy until freelancing platforms and freelancers become a bit more professional. And, and I think that's going to be important. It's not that technical people have to be like Accenture or that Catalan people have to be like McKinsey, but there is a, there's a protocol required by most midsize and large organizations that you really got to um, conform to in order for them to feel comfortable. Their big issue for small businesses, it's speed and productivity, right? For the startups and for the small businesses, some medium-sized businesses, it's how fast can you get here? And do you have the skills to fix this problem? For many of the enterprises, in addition to that, there's just a big risk mitigation issue. It's, it's just, are you guys gonna blow up my global business? And so they're a lot more wary of using freelancers but they've also been dropping the size of their, their internal um, population, internal employee population. They're going to need the freelancers. We need in freelancing to accommodate that protocol, that accommodate the, the format of how they like to work. They're going to need to understand it's not the same as employees. And, and one of the things that we know is that um, it, when you interview freelancers about it, their biggest concern is, is often the quality of the project manager and the team that they're working with and for. For example, our data says that less than 50% of the time, freelancers believe that their clients really know how to work with freelancers. 
And about less than 50% of the time, these same companies are seen by freelancers as not putting their best foot forward in terms of the project manager working with them, who sees them as a semi-employee. And so you start to get confused about that stuff. Um, and, excuse me, just making sure that the other members of the team are as strong. Many of the freelancers find that the other team members are not as strong as they hope they would be to get the job done within the time, within the budget. So, lots more. Sarah, let's have another call within a couple of months. And some, we'll, we'll dig into some of the other stuff that we, we've learned. But it's I a pleasure that. to talk with you. It is such a pleasure to talk with you, John. And yes, there's so much. Things move so fast. <laughs> we'll talk again in a few months and everything will be completely different. I um, appreciate you being here so much and sharing some of your very deep expertise um, with us. And I'd love for you to tell us, like, I know you're a contributor at Forbes. Where else can people um, find out more about all this amazing work that you're involved? So check out the human cloud, certainly. So humancloud.work. Check out humancloud.work trend tracker if you want to learn more about and you want access to our data around what generally is happening in the freelance world. And that data is updated is pretty regularly. Let's see, and other than that, other at another podcast near you. Great. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity to speak to you and to your listeners. Take care.